take our Bibles tonight and go to uh, 1 Kings chapter number 19. 1 Kings chapter number 19. We'll start reading in verse number 19. The Bible says, <clears throat> excuse me. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. And he with the twelve, and he with the twelfth, Elijah, passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah, and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I to do with thee? And he returned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, slew them, boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for just allowing us to be in church tonight. Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, for the things that have taken place in each one of these people's lives that are present here tonight, Lord, to get them to a place where they're here at this church at this time, uh, Lord God, to, uh, to, to partake in this ministry, Father. I pray, Lord, that uh, as we open up the Bible tonight, Father, that you'd wash me in the blood of Jesus Christ, Father. I pray to organize these thoughts that are running around in my head right now, and Father, I pray that they'd come out in a coherent manner that would be of some help and use uh, for these that are that are here tonight, God. I pray you'd put a hedge of protection around my lips, Lord, and God, if I say anything wrong or if I say anything that's not right, I pray that it would just fall on deaf ears and, Lord, not hurt or anything like that, Lord, but, Lord, that you just please help us tonight to allow the Bible to have free course, and may we get a simple truth tonight, Lord, that will help us in our Christian lives. We ask it now in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Here in 1 Kings chapter number 19, of course, this is, uh, this is the next step for Elijah after he finds himself underneath the juniper tree. And the Lord tells him to get down there and anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, uh, as, a, uh, as a priest in his, or as a prophet in his stead. And of course, we know that there's still a lot left of Elijah's ministry. By no means is this, uh, you know... Uh, sorry, you messed up because you were underneath the juniper tree and now I'm replacing you. That was not the case in what's happening here because you know that after this passage talking about Elisha, he doesn't, Elisha's name doesn't even occur in Scripture for another 10 years after that. And so God's, uh, God's got a way of bringing people in and out of the ministry. And, uh, and, and I tell you, I know that uh, if you've been in... Uh, teen class, we've been in Galatians on Thursday night, some of this stuff will be repetition, but I cannot shake some of the stuff that we've been going over in those, in those, uh, in those classes, and I just couldn't shake it, I tried everything I could to shake it, but I can't shake it, so I'll give it out the best that I can, um, but uh, you know what, we're called to be servants, and uh, here, turn the mic on, y'all gave me the mic. They are. That's why I know. I thought y'all gave it to me that way. It's on. Is it good now? All right. I try real hard not to mess with this because I feel like this is a distraction. And uh, but y'all called my bluff, man. I had to. I had to address it. All right. But anyways, 
Uh, we're called to be servants to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and there's some principles in being a servant that we don't just see in this passage, but rather there's principles that we see throughout Scripture. And I don't know about you, but there's been times in my Christian life where um, someone says, you need to be a servant, right? And sometimes I get confused with what that means. How do I do that? Right. And, uh, you know, because everybody seems to have, you know, they have a ministry that God puts them in. And obviously, Elisha here, he's being called out and uh, the Lord's putting his hand on him. And there are some things that happened in Elisha's life before he was called. And there was things that happened in Elisha's life after he was called way before he was ever the guy. And of course, we know that Elisha did more miracles than Elijah did and arguably was granted the double portion that he had requested at the hand of the Lord uh, after seeing the power of Elijah in the 10 years that he walked. And as the Bible says here, that he ministered unto him. The Bible talks about being a, uh, when, the, when the disciples were, were, were you know, bantering back and forth with one another about which one of them was going to be the greatest. Right? I mean, after all, these nobodies that were doing nothing got called by the grace of God, and they're now following the Christ, the one prophesied uh, in the Old Testament. They're now serving him, a bunch of nobodies, a bunch of fishermen, tax collectors, whatever you want to say, just a bunch of normal, everyday guys just working in the world, doing what they're supposed to be doing, and God, Jesus Christ... Knocks on their door and says, hey, what about it? And they find themselves following him. And of course, they kind of get an inside scoop of, man, this guy's got God all over him. And he's saying he's the Christ, and we believe that. And so you know what they start to do? They start to say, which one of us is going to be the greatest? And Jesus Christ says, you bunch of idiots, man. You guys don't get it. Y'all just don't get it. He says, don't you know that the greatest among you? We'll be a servant. Oh, you mean I'm not going to be the one that everybody looks up to? You mean I'm not going to be the one that everybody comes to for advice? You mean I'm not going to be the one preaching to to 30,000? I'm not going to be the one selling out stadiums? I'm not going to be that guy? I'm going to be the one washing feet? Yeah, he says you want to be the greatest. How well do you serve other people? You know what? Elisha gets an opportunity here. And uh, you want to know something? I, I, I just take your Bibles for a second and, and we're going we're gonna to come back and forth to here. But I want to show you some doctrinal principles here to maybe convey what I'm trying to say a little bit better. After all, I believe the Bible can probably explain it a lot better than I can. Go to Galatians chapter number four. Let me show you something. Galatians chapter number four. Start in verse number three, the Bible says, Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Before you got saved, the Bible calls you in bondage. Servitude. To who? To the world. To the world. And then he says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And then look at what he says in verse uh, number six and seven. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, 
but a son. So in this verse, what we see here, that sonship is greater than servant. You see that? So we take Galatians chapter number 4 and verse number 7, and I say, I am no longer a servant. Why? Because I was in bondage under the elements of the world. I was in bondage to sin, to the, to the powers of, uh, of the devil who was my father beforehand, and I was in shackles and chains. And in the fullness of, of time, Jesus Christ came, and he knocked on my door. And he said, what about it? You want out? I mean, you mean I can have peace? You mean I can have joy? You mean I can live a life that's not in servitude to this world and whatever says the world says do, I have to do. And when the world says jump, I say how high? And I'm in bondage to everything the world tells me to do because after all, the greatest thing that I have is this world because I have no assurance of what happens after this world goes away. And he says, yeah, why don't you go ahead and follow me? And you say, you know what, Lord, I, I think I'll do that. And you know, he says, all right, take the chains off. He reaches down there and those shackles that had worn sores around your wrists and sores around your ankles and that cut in. He had lacerations all over those things and he comes in and he just takes that latch and he breaks it off and the chains fall off and he puts the salve and the balm of Gilead on those wounds and he says, hey, listen, you ain't in shackles anymore, man. You don't have to worry about what this world does. You don't have to worry about what it tells you to do. Listen, you're free now. And you get out from that bondage. And the Bible says, now you're no more a servant. You're a son. You know, it's funny because uh, back in John chapter 15, verse number 15, he tells you, he alludes to the fact that uh, being a servant isn't the highest thing. He, sa- he tells them in verse number 15 of John chapter 15, he says, I'm not calling you servants because servants don't know what their master's doing. He says, I'm going to call you my friends. I'm going to call you my friends. Why? Because you know what's going on. You're not in the dark anymore. And so what happens is, is there's a, there's this, there's a purchasing of a servant that has to take place. Because you are in bondage. You are a slave under this world. You are a slave under your sin. And you could do nothing about it. No matter how good you were, no matter how many great things you did, no matter how many good works you did, you could have, you know, helped every old lady across the street. You could have picked up stray dogs. You could do whatever you thought was going to make you, you know, some kind of moral high ground or whatever. And guess what? It availed you nothing when it came to your sin. It availed you nothing when it came to your soul. And it definitely availed you nothing when it came to escaping the flames of hell. And so the Lord Jesus Christ comes and he says, uh, you. All right, you want out? Absolutely, I want out. I'm sick of this thing. I thought I had it all figured out, and I don't have it figured out. He says, all right. And he takes his wallet out, and he shells it out, and he says, how much for him? And he pays for you, and he buys you. You see, what you were in, you were in subjection. There's three parts to your purchasing and becoming a servant. You want to know the first thing is you realize you're in subjection to this world. What is that? I am brought under the power of an outside entity. It has dominion over me. It oppresses me. You think about I mean, in the political landscape that you live, you live uh, in a world where there's dictatorships and, 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 and different uh, type forms of government and those people in subjection to their leaders. They are forced into compliance. You are in subjection to this world. But you know what he says here? When Jesus Christ comes in, 
It's not subjection, it's liberation. Glorious liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. I'm now free. I'm, God, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a free man. I don't have to worry about what uh, the world says anymore. I don't have to worry about uh, uh, any of the fads or the trends of the day or whatever they may be. I'm no longer a servant. I'm now liberated and I'm adopted into the family of God. You know something? The Bible says that being, uh, that being uh, free and having the liberty comes with great responsibility. You know that? You have liberty. Just like back in our text, you know, uh, what do you think Elisha was doing? He was working for his parents. He was in bondage. <laughs> he, he, had no, he had nothing going on. He was just working in the field. And then all of a sudden, Elijah comes along and says, hey, what about it? And he says, let's go. And he takes care of business, and he heads out, and he follows Elijah. But you know what you find out as you continue to read, and you continue to study the life of Elisha? Is that there came a time in 2 Kings chapter number 2, where it was coming to the end of Elijah's life, and the sons of the prophets and everything else, they start coming out and saying, hey, don't you know your master, he's going, to, his, he's going to be taken away from you today? Three different times they come to him and start, and start mouthing off to him. And he had every chance, every opportunity. And Elijah even comes to him and says, man, just stay here. Why are you following me for? Just stay where you're at. It's not worth the hassle for you. And you know what you find out? You're going to be a servant? That it starts with subjection, and then it goes into liberty, liberation, but, the, but the, the pinnacle is then submission. You see, what are you talking about? Submission is voluntary. It's not subjection. I choose to submit. Why? Because look at what he's done for me. Look at what he's done for me. In the Old Testament, you, you find it was in Exodus chapter 30-something, 30 33, somewhere around in there, 31, somewhere around in there, over in the book of Exodus. And there's a servant, and he says, you buy a Hebrew servant, he'll serve you for six years. And at the end of that term, you have to give him an opportunity. You say, hey, uh, you know, you've served me well for six years, and I just want to let you know, you got a choice you can make. You know what the Bible says? He says, if the master, if the master has given unto him a wife and children and all these different things. You ever, you ever think of it peculiar over in Ephesians and a couple other spots nearby where it talks about the importance of how masters deal with their servants? I know how we relate to it today, and that's, you know, your boss and the people that work underneath you. But the Bible says masters and servants. You say, why is that important? Because you lose your cross-reference back to Exodus if you take away those words. You know what that tells you? If you've got people underneath you, you better be really careful how you treat them and lead them. Because the type is the Lord Jesus Christ and how He's your master and how He treats His servants. But in Exodus, He says, if the master has given you a wife and children and so on and so forth, He says, you can then choose to stay and not go. 
But he says, if you want to go, you can leave. Everything I've given you stays back here. Amen. And you know what? As the story goes on, and you, you, can, you all heard the story before, that servant looks around and he says, man, my master, he hasn't been a taskmaster. He hasn't guilted me. He hasn't, he hasn't twisted my arm. He hasn't bullied me. He hasn't oppressed me. But rather, he's given me a wife and he's given me children. He's given me a trade and a skill. And you know what he's done? He's been nothing but good to me. And so out of choice, he then submits to that master. He says, put the all through my ear. And then he says, I will serve you forevermore in perpetuity. Why? Because it's just how good he's been to me. Amen. You say, how, you know, you want to you be a servant? You know how that purchasing process goes? You get, you get liberated from you being subject to this world. And then what happens is, is you start living a little bit. And then you look back. And that's why he says six years. It takes some time. It takes some time. If you just got saved in here, maybe you've been saved a few months, you've been saved maybe a year, something like that. Listen, you, you've just started, you're an infant in this walk with Jesus Christ. That's not a knock on you, it's just where you're at. The truth of the matter is, there's going to come a time where you're going to look back and you're going to go through some things. And if you go through them with the Lord Jesus Christ, what you'll find out is you'll look back and you say, man, look at how good he's been to me. And you know what? It's not, it's not because I, I'm not serving him because that somehow gets me more favor, but it's rather an appreciation. And so I choose to submit to him because of how good he's been to me. Amen. Do you see that? But I want to say this. I know that maybe that was a little elementary for you, but there's a pitfall. There's a pitfall in that right there. There's a pitfall to a servant. There's something that you need to watch out for. Okay? Go to Romans chapter number 8 real quick. Because after all, you've been set free. You have all the liberty that you could ask for. But the Bible is clear and he shows us some things. Look in verse number 2 of Romans chapter 8. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Okay, he's made me free from the law. I'm no longer underneath it. I'm no longer ruled by a list of regulations and do's and don'ts and those kinds of things. I am free from all of that mess. You say, what is that? That's religion. That's what damns people. That's what makes people think that they can gain favor by doing X, Y, and Z. You can't. That's works. He says, after I got saved, that stuff goes by the wayside. Okay? Go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, look in verse number 19. He says, for though I be free from all men, this is Paul talking, Yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. So Paul, what he's saying is, I have been made free. There's no doubt. But I am now making a choice to bring myself down into a 
servant role for the sake of other people. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, just maybe a page or two back for you. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, verse number 22. Give a little bit more light on it. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. So a man that's a servant is considered to be the Lord's free man. And he says also he that, uh, that is called being free is Christ's servant. So there's this relationship with being free and then also being a servant. And we see that what Paul said in chapter 9 is that the difference in being free and in being a servant isn't a matter of somebody telling you what to do or whatever else like that. What it is a matter of, it's a matter of choice on your part. Now there's a reason this choice is so important. There's a reason why I say that there's a pitfall. If you're not careful, you'll run into it and you can be hurt by it, but you'll hurt a lot of other people by it as well. Go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter number 2. First Peter chapter number two. Verse number 16. I read you those other verses to show you how that word free is, is, a, is a strain through these verses. That's how you know they're intertwined and what they're talking about. Verse number 16. As free and not using, this is the pitfall, ready? And not using your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness. Whoa. Wait a minute. So the pitfall that a servant can fall into is that he or she can be free, saved, heaven-bound, and have all the liberty, right? All things are lawful unto me, Paul said. Everything. I can do whatever I want, right? But he says the pitfall is is if you start to use that liberty, as the Bible says, a cloak of maliciousness. You mean, what is that? That means I can hide my bad motives. I can hide my ill intents. I can hide my manipulation. I can hide my pride and my selfishness in a cloak of liberty. You see that thing? That's a pitfall, folks. That's a pitfall. That's, that's a, an area of quicksand that you can easily walk into and be ensnared in. Because don't you know a lot of people, boy, they can, they can use a cloak to cover their malicious intents. Amen. You ever, uh, uh, you ever been around a, uh, maybe a kid or somebody who's, you know, maybe you work at a place and, and the person who owns the business, you work with one of their kids? Something like that. And they walk around, and they're just lazy. They don't know how to do nothing. They're just there because their mom or dad owns the place. You know, and they're walking around, and, uh, you know, they're just messing around, goofing around, and you're trying to work. And, and it's like, you know, my daddy owns the place. <laughs> and you're thinking, you're a bum. 
like, I want to smack you across the head. You don't, you don't know the, the, the nearest thing about how to do this job. You're just, you are a, you are a sympathy hire. You just, you're just here because your, your mom and your dad doesn't want you to be a total mess up. And now you're out here bogging all of us down trying to get some work done. You know, those kind of people are the worst kind of people to be around. Those entitled people. Kind of like Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, his two boys, running around the, running around the temple, right? Running around the tabernacle and, and uh, laying with the Lord's women that are there and causing all kinds of issues and messing around with the offerings and just being absolutely wicked. Right? Being absolutely wicked. After all, you know who the high priest is, right? Yeah, he's my daddy. What are you going to do about it? Tormenting the people. Busting up homes. Messing people up. Going against God. And the Lord says, what are you doing? Well, my dad's a high priest, and I, there's no respect of persons with God. So I don't know where you get on your high horse thinking that you're something special. You know what happens? God kills those two boys, and he kills their daddy. Why do he kill their dad? After all, I, I'm, not, I'm not responsible for what my kids do. The Bible says that he was killed because he never restrained his sons from their wicked behavior. How about that? You may have a little more responsibility than you think you do. How about this one? You got Gehazi. He's following Elisha. You know, Elisha, he finds this out later on in life. See, now he's the guy. Elijah's gone. Elisha's the one walking around, and he's doing the miracles, and he's the one everybody's listening to. He's the one preaching the sermons. He's the guy that's got all the attention now. And the Lord gives him a servant named Gehazi. And Naaman's got leprosy, and you know the story. The little girl comes, and he brings him around. He says, go down to the Jordan, dip seven times, you know. And he says, and he gets all flustered and says, why am I going to go down to these? Isn't there any, you know, rivers in my own land I can go to without having to dip in one of these stinking Jordan River? I don't want to mess with all this. And uh, he says, man, do you want to get healed or not? And, of course, he goes down there seven times and seven times, and then guess what? He gets healed of his leprosy. And he comes back, and man, he's just jubilated. He's just so happy, and he goes, to, he goes back to Elisha, and he says, Listen, man, I don't know. You need, you need to be paid for this. This is amazing what you've done for me. I'm, I'm, not, no, I'm not nobody. I'm, I'm a guy that's in great reputation. I've got the goods that I can give you. And you know what Elisha says? He says, I ain't taking nothing from you, man. You keep your money. Why don't you just go and rejoice? And he says, listen, I just want you to know that when I make an offer and I'm making it to God, and when i got to go into my false God and I have to worship to him, may the Lord forgive me for that because I know he can't do that. I know that the Lord's my God now. And, and, and uh, what, is, what does Elijah say? He says, man, go in peace. There's no burden on you anymore. Nothing on you. Just go. <coughs> and Gehazi looks at the situation and he goes, what is that old crazy man doing? A, wor a workman's worthy of his hire. Why in, the world, why in the world is this guy not taking a paycheck from this guy? He's got all the money he could ever want. We're over here scraping around what we have, traveling around. And so they go back, and you know, you know the story. Gehazi gets it in his thing. He's like, you know what, I'm going to go get something. And you know what he does? He makes up a great story. 
He makes up a story and he says, hey, man, we just had some guys come down, you know, from this, uh, these, other, these other guys. They came down and, and, and you know what? It's not for us, but for them. Would you just maybe give them a shekel of silver, you know, and a couple changes of clothes? He says, no, I'll give them two and I'll give them four changes of clothes. And so he takes it, puts it in his backpack. You know what he did? He was supposed to be a servant. And you know what he did? He took his liberty and he took his standing and his relationship with Elisha and he threw it as a cloak over his malicious intent and over his malicious behavior and his manipulative behavior. Because after all, I'm Elisha's guy. You know, folks, sometimes we do that. Sometimes we get in our mind what we want and what we're going to do and so on and so forth. And, and what we tend to do is we tend to manipulate people. We tend to associate with people that we can get certain things from. We tend to befriend people that have a certain skill that we have a need for. You see what I'm saying? And it's just, we just use the Lord as a cloak. We use our relationship, we use our liberty, we use our freedom as a cloak to cover up whatever it is we want to do. And can I say this? The world is sick of those kinds of Christians. The world is sick of it. And the world sees right through it. The world knows it. It's evident. And it always comes out in the end. Always comes out in the end. People who use other people for their own benefit are servants in name only. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. And there's a pitfall that you need to be careful of, and that is I can sometimes take my liberty and say, I don't really care what anybody thinks. I'm going to get what I want to get, and who cares who I hurt? Because after all, I've got liberty. I'll never forget it. I first year went down to Bible college. And uh, I'm not saying this bad or anything like that. Every, every, I don't care what Bible college you go to, there's always going to be a couple in there that ain't worth nothing. I was given some good advice before I went to Bible school. They said just because you go to Bible school doesn't make you spiritual. That was good advice. And they said whatever you get out of Bible school is whatever you, is whatever you put into Bible school. I said, well, that makes good sense too. I remember I was at the gymnasium one night. I was playing hockey, and there were some third-year guys out there. And I remember it was... Uh, it was after everything was done. We were sitting there. I was talking to some guys that I was going to school with, and I just got down. It's just a few weeks being into it. I still thought everybody there was, you know, angels. And I saw this, this guy, he was cussing up a storm. He's just cussing, man. You know? And I'm just like, and he's a third-year student. I'm like, what in the world is going on here? Now, you have to understand, I, was a, I acted different in those days. I was very young. And I'm not saying I'm old now, but I'm just saying I was a lot younger than I am now. And I was a little bit more in your face than I am now. You say, that's hard to believe. Well, I, trust, trust me, it was a lot worse. And I beelined this guy. I said, what in the world are you talking like that for? Amen. What in the world are you talking like that for? And, he's like, and he looked at me, he's like, first year. Pfft. I'm like, all right, buddy. <laughs> you know? And he, you know what he said to me? He says, you can't tell me nothing. I got liberty. Liberty for what? To make a cloak for your malicious behavior? 
The Bible tells us to walk circumspectly. The Bible tells us, listen, that all things are lawful unto me, but what does he finish that verse with? All things are not expedient. Okay? He tells us not to put stumbling blocks in front of one another. He tells us to be careful. Okay? To be careful. And that's what we need to be. If you're going to be a servant of God, you know what you need to be? You need to just be careful. Just be careful. Last thing I want to say is there's a progression in servanthood. There's a progression. Back in our, in our text in, in 1 Kings, what you find out is, is of course, he's, <clears throat> is, uh, is Elisha is serving in his hometown. He's serving with his, under the, underneath the supervision of his parents. And he's working the farm. He's doing what, exactly what he's supposed to be doing. And then he gets a call from Elijah. And his life changes. And you know what he's doing at that point? He's not preaching. He's not the prophet at that point. So what's he doing? He's washing hands. He's, the Bible says, ministering unto Elijah. Okay? Take your Bibles, go to Romans chapter number 1. Romans chapter number 1. This is the last thing I'm going to say tonight. Romans chapter number 1. Verse number 1, the Bible says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. First and foremost, you see Paul, one of Paul's favorite titles for himself. He gives it to himself three times, and that's the title of servant. And notice that there's three categories of service in that one verse. He says, Paul, number one, a servant. Number two, called. And then number three, separated. Separated. There's, different, there's, there's categories to this thing. Can I say this? God calls people that are doing something. And I tell you, you find some of the greatest servants in the Bible, they follow that path right there. Right there. You think, who, who are you talking about? In our text, here's Elisha. What's he doing? Exactly what he's supposed to be doing. He's, he's plowing with oxen. He's tending the fields. You say, well, that's not spiritual. It wasn't supposed to be. It was what he was supposed to be doing at the time. That was his job. That's what he was supposed to do. And you know what he did? He did it faithfully. And there was probably nobody that could plow oxen like Elisha could. There ain't nobody that could hook them up as quick as he could. and nobody that could plow a row with all as many oxen. He had 12 oxen, man. He could plow a row with all them oxen, get them working at the same thing, pulling at the same rate. And he could plow a straight line. And, man, he could take them fields quicker than anybody out there. You say, what else are you talking about? Here's David. Just a runt. Just the youngest boy. I mean... When, when Samuel comes looking for, looking, for a, uh, looking for a king, all his other brothers come, well, surely it's me, surely it's me, surely it's me. He's like, man, is there anybody else here? Well, there's one, but he's just the runt, man. He's just this, you know, little red-haired crazy kid out there tending sheep. You know what would happen? He just, he's out there doing what he's supposed to be doing. 
Was it spiritual? No. It wasn't. Innately, in and of itself, the act of watching sheep is not spiritual. <laughs> right? Can I say this? Jesus Christ. You ever find it peculiar that he gives you, around, he gives you the, the, all the prophecies of his birth? Right? In the, end of, in, in the end of Luke chapter number 2, the last verse says he grew in stature and, and uh, grow in wisdom and stature and between God and man and all that stuff. Remember that? Like a verse 52, somewhere around in there. And he gives you a short glimpse about 12 years old. But you know what he's doing? All the way up until his, in, until his, uh, until his basically his uh, ordination into the ministry at the baptism of John. He gives you no, you know what he's doing? He's a carpenter. What's he doing? Working with his hands. He's working with his hands. He's, he's got an occupation. He's working. And the Bible says he was made perfect through the things that he suffered. You don't think that he suffered at all between, the, between 12 years old and age 30? Sure he did. And he had to deal with some of the same stresses that you have. Going back and forth to work every day and meeting deadlines and bashing his, his hand with a mallet and all this different stuff. And Absolutely. You see, God calls people that are already serving. Okay? He calls people that are already serving in whatever capacity God puts in you to do. And then you know what happens? God calls those that are serving. Now here's where you get in trouble. Is where you put, where you conflate being a servant with being called. Well, I'm not called to be a preacher, so I'm not called to be a servant. <laughs> I'm not called to be a missionary, so I'm not called to be a servant. I'm not called to be whatever title you can think of, and so therefore I'm not called to be a servant. Can I say this? You're, you're called to be a servant before you're called in any kind of spe uh, specific ministry. All of us are called to do that. There's some things just about being a Christian that you're called to do that you're just supposed to do. Pastor has been, has been talking about soul winning and that kind of thing. You ever think about this? Do you ever think about this? If you're not actively talking to people about the Lord, why? Amen. There's only two things. If you're not, there's two things. You ready? There's two, there's two different types of people. There's ones, okay, I'm not witnessing anybody. I'm not, I'm not doing anything. And you know what, you know what the problem is? The reason you're not witnessing is because witnessing and soul winning is a byproduct of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You understand that? That's why we say the most important thing in your life is your personal fellowship with Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't have personal fellowship with Lord Jesus Christ, if you're not in communion with him, if you're not in your Bible and you're praying and you're doing those things that have communication between you and the Lord, guess what? You will not be witnessing. Because soul winning is a byproduct of that relationship. He's talking about discouragement this morning. Talking about, you know, people feel like they're stale and, they're, and they don't have any excitement anymore. You wonder why you don't have that? You want to know what will light your fire quicker than anything? You start talking to somebody about the Lord and the Lord gives you a verse. You don't even have to win them to Christ. Just talk to them. Just give your testimony, man. Just tell them something about what the Lord's done for you. 
I was getting out of my house tonight to come over here. My neighbor's out there with a beer in his hand because I got a Super Bowl party going on. He looked at me and he says, hey, Joe, man, you're looking sharp tonight. I said, man, I'm preaching tonight. I better look decent. <laughs> he says, you're preaching tonight? I said, yeah, man, I'm preaching tonight. And he's sitting there with a beer in his hand. He's like, okay. <laughs> you know what that does? Like, praise the Lord, man. You know what they see? They see us going to church all the time. They, you know what? They've, they, we've talked to them about the Lord. You know? My daughter led their daughter to, to, the, to Jesus Christ in our backyard. You see what I'm saying? Some of you, the reason that you don't have that joy that's unspeakable and full of glory is because all you do is intake. You come to church and you've got your routine and maybe you read your Bible and you're praying and you come to church, you listen to preaching. Some of you in here, you listen to so much stinking preaching, it comes out of your ears. You're like over-preached at. Yeah, that, that can happen, by the way. <laughs> listen. And what you do is you become stale because the only way that you don't get stale and stagnant is that it has to be cyclical. Amen. And a part of that cycle is you have to give out what you're taking in. And if you never give out what you're taking in, you're going to lose your joy. You're going to lose your skipping your step. And all of a sudden, things aren't hitting the way they are. It's because you're not being, you've never, you haven't felt God use you in a while. You know what would help that? If you soul win. You know what it all comes back to? Your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You're supposed to be serving. God calls. And then you're saying, okay, now you're separated. Paul says, I thank God, right? He says that he put me into the ministry. That's what Paul's testimony was. I'm going to give you a personal illustration, and I don't want to do it at all. It's embarrassing to me, and it's uncomfortable for me, but I'm going to tell you because I believe that the Lord wanted me to tell you this. When I got out of Bible college, I was 100% convinced that I was going to be in the ministry full-time some way, shape, or form when I got out of Bible school. I just did. I made no preparation for a career. I had no desire for any of that. I was single at the time. And uh, shortly after me and Paige got married, I mean, I remember we moved into uh, our second house. We lived in a small, uh, uh, like a duplex apartment, one-bedroom apartment, and we moved into a house off Broadway there in Anderson. And I remember sitting in my office, and I had envelopes of every pastor, preacher that I knew with their church address, and I made prayer cards up. Miss, Miss Beth and Pastor, they actually had one of my old prayer cards for the longest time before I ever came over here. <clears throat> And I, was, and I was destined to be an evangelist some way, shape, or form. I was going to go preach meetings. This is what God wanted me to do. And I was ready to send out all these letters to all these pastors. Just let you know. Ready to go. And I said, all I want to do is serve God. Remember my grandfather, when he, when he was, you know, you know, we had savings bonds growing up to pay for college and everything else, and he said, well, I'm not giving you those savings bonds. I told your dad I'd make sure that you make money and all this different stuff. And uh, he said, I'm not giving you a dime of that for some Bible college. You won't make any money being a preacher. And I said, I don't care if I make $100,000 a year, $50,000 a year, or stinking $10,000 a year. I said, go ahead and take that, those savings bonds, and you'll go to hell with those savings bonds. That was my attitude. That's how little I cared about it. Okay? 
One of the, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do is throw every one of those letters in the garbage. Because I listened to a, I listened to a sermon from, uh, what was his name? He, used to, he was a pastor around Indianapolis. Um, lost a boy to a drunk driver, hit him. Um, if I can't get in a second, I'll move on. But uh, Lord, what's this, that guy's name? B.R. Lakin. B.R. Lakin. And he says, listen, he says, I've been preaching for 40 years. And he says, there's never been a Sunday I haven't had a place to preach. This is the old time preacher, by the way. And he says, and I've never asked a man for a meeting. And I'm sitting there with 50 letters asking for meetings. And you know what the Lord did? He said, you got a wife now. Go get a job. I said, Lord, I don't want to get a job. He says, well, go get a job. I, listen, I want to tell you something. I, it's not that I was lazy. You guys know my, I was raised on a dairy farm. I'm not lazy. Okay, I can stink and work. All right? Had no problem working. When I graduated high school, I was working three jobs. I was working Pizza Hut, auto parts delivery driver, working at Kmart. I was working around the clock, man. Didn't bother me a bit. But man, when I got out of Bible college, that's what I want. I said, this is what I went to school for, Lord. Let me go. <laughs> he said, no, I'm going to put you in a local church. And I'm not going to give you any title. I'm not going to give you any ministry. Why don't you just go to work? And so I worked two and three jobs. I worked at the auto parts store. And then I worked at Fazoli's at the same time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I didn't really much care for women telling me what to do. So every job I went to, my, a woman was my boss. <laughs> the Lord's like, how do you like that? <laughs> like, I don't like it at all. <laughs> right? And then I lost my job, and then I got another job, and then, I mean, just so on and so forth. Everything going down the pike, and I think to myself. And then everything blows up over there, and then I come over here, and I'm thinking, Lord, what in the world do you want me to do? I'm up in New York. Listen, I've been offered churches. I've been offered every ministry under the sun. And it's not because I'm some great preacher and I think something highly of myself. No, I'm just telling you the truth. I've had people call me and say, hey, you want this church? Hey, you want to do this? You want to do this? You want to do this? And, I, and the Lord never gave me peace about doing any of it. And you know what I've done? Gone from job to job to job to job. You say, is that what you thought you were going to do? No. It's not. I wanted to be in the ministry. <laughs> you know what I realized? I learned a whole lot more doing the, the path the Lord's got me on than some of the guys that I knew I graduated with, and they're all pastoring, and they got all these new ministries that they're involved in, and they're doing this, that, and the other. The Lord's taught me a lot of things. You know, it's funny, over in Colossians, Colossians, uh, the, the, the last end of that thing, he talks about Epaphras. And Epaphras was a man, just a guy in the church. He was a fellow prisoner of Paul. And Paul, while he was, he was, pre he writes that, uh, that letter to the, the church at Colossae, that was not a church that Paul founded. That was a church that was established, and he heard about that church from Epaphras while he was in prison with Epaphras. Now, Epaphras, he was no great preacher, or anything, and nothing says that he was the pastor of that church. The Bible just says that he was a fellow servant, and all he did was pray for the people at the church at Colossae. Right? That's all he did. He just prayed for them. He's just a normal guy 
doing whatever he could do in the church in which he was in. You know what? If Epaphras tried to be Paul, he'd have made a mess. Oh, man, he'd have made a mess. It would have been horrible. You know what? What happens if Barnabas got his nose out of joint? Because it started out with, it was Barnabas and Saul, and Barnabas and Saul, and Barnabas and Paul, and then it was Paul and Barnabas, and Paul and Barnabas, and then eventually it was just Paul. And Barnabas was nowhere to be heard. You know what would have happened if he would have got his feathers all ruffled and said, you know what, well, I, who, do you think, who do you think gave Paul his start? You see that? You say, what was it? He was never called to be Paul. He was called to be Barnabas. You say, what are you, what are you trying to say here? What, are you trying to, you know, what kind of end are you trying to get to this thing? What I'm trying to say is when it comes to being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a, there's a progression. And if you're waiting for God to... I want you to be a missionary. If you're waiting for God to... I want you to be a preacher. If you have the zeal like I did, right, then there's a danger. Because God may never allow you to do that. God may not want you to do that. And so you know what you're going to have to learn how to do? Be a servant in the field in which God has you in. That's what you're going to have to learn to do. You know what you're going to have to learn how to do? Just what David learned how to do. Be the best shepherd boy he could be. Just like Paul. You know what he was? He was persecuting. He was a student. He was, he was highly educated, went to college. He was the best, stutter on the feet of, of, of Gamaliel, everything else. He was, he was uh, uh, very scholastic. Some of you in here, you may be that. Some people work with their hands. Some people are very, uh, you know, heady. They can, they can do that, and they have the ability to do that, and God will put you in a field where that's, that's a field that you're in. You know what you should do just like Paul did. Now, I know that Paul had to get corrected right there, right, and no longer use that for uh, persecuting Christians, but rather the Lord flipped that thing on its head and used it for him later on. But guess what? Paul was committed and dedicated, and he wasn't waiting on nothing. He was doing exactly what he was able to do to the best of his ability. Jesus Christ probably the best carpenter you could ever imagine. Amen. Moses the same way. All of them started that way. God calls people who are busy. I don't care if you're plowing oxen. You know what? It'll do you a lot of good to realize when you get up tomorrow morning, because we all know that 5, 6 o'clock comes pretty quick after Sunday night. And when you hit that button and you get up and you get your shower and you get your coffee, and whether you read your Bible before you go or you read your Bible at lunch or whenever you do your daily devotions or whatever, when you realize that the minute you punch the time clock or log into your tablet or however you clock into your work, you know what the Bible tells you? He says, whatever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. You want to know what Epaphras understood? You know the funny thing about the book of Colossians? Colossae was 11 miles from Laodicea. Colossians is a unique book because the church at Laodicea is mentioned five times in the book. And there's a great heart for the church at Laodicea in that book. You know you're in the church at Laodicea if you didn't know. 
And you know what he warns about in chapter 2, verse 8? The philosophies of the world. The philosophies. So you know what you're going to have to learn how to do? You're going to have to learn how to work in this world and be a Christian and witness to those people that you come in contact with and have a good testimony and then fight the philosophies of this world. Because guess what? Christianity is not a philosophy of the world. Let me give you, let me give you an, an example, and again, I'll be done. Socialism and capitalism, those are two philosophies. Understand? One of them says, do all the work, we'll redistribute the wealth, we'll give it to everybody so everybody's equal. Right? We all know how that turns out. <laughs> That's been proven historically, in case you haven't read history. And then you have capitalism, which all of us here be like, praise the Lord for capitalism. Can I tell you this? That's not Christianity either. You say, what's the philosophy of capitalism? The philosophy of capitalism is simply this. I do work to expect profit, and that's, that's my motivation is more profit, more profit, more profit, more profit. Both of them at, those, at, those, at the extremes of both of those philosophies is absolute chaos. Dictatorship. Greedy rich people, they don't care about you or anybody and their brother. All they want is the almighty dollar. You see that? You say, what's the difference between Christianity? Christianity works within any philosophy. So whether you were in communist China or you were in the Soviet Union, you know what the, the church does? It goes to work and it does it as hardly as under the Lord, not under men. Amen. You know, there's a book out there. I can't remember the name of it. But it was, a, it was a thesis that was done about how America was built on the backs of Christian men and women who had that philosophy, the Christian basis, where the, the ones that built the skyscrapers and all the infrastructure and all, what they were highly, uh, uh, high density of Christian people that got into service type uh, work and construction and, and business owners and that kind of thing. And you know what they did? They built the America that you and I enjoy. This country was built on the backs of people that weren't so much concerned about how much they were getting paid, but making an honest living and pleasing the God that they served. Amen. So why are you so worried about the world? Why are you so worried? You know what the Bible tells us? Don't be caught up in that. Why? Because it will ruin you as a servant. Amen. Now here's the deal. If you work hard and you do that and you learn how to be a good employee, you learn how to do that, you know what God just may do? First of all, you do live in a capitalistic society. So you know what you're going to have to struggle with? <laughs> you're going to move up as you continue to do good things. You know what you're going to have to do? Always keep it in check. All the time. All the time. And then you know what you're going to have to, uh, you know what you're going to, have to do? If God calls, says, hey, what about this? Will you do this for me? Well, yeah, Lord. Sure. Does that mean I quit my job and I do everything? No, 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 no. He just because you're called doesn't mean that you've been separated to do it. You see that? You can be serving in whatever capacity the Lord has you in in this life. Just know you need to be soul winning. You need to be passing out tracts. That's a part of who we are as Christians. That's, that's, our, that's the generic calling for everyone. And then maybe out of those that are serving, you know what the Lord will do? He'll prick your heart. Just like we have organic ministry here. He pricks Brother Tim's heart, Brother Andrew's heart. You know, uh, Brother Travis and these guys, they go to the jails and stuff like that. That wasn't forced upon them. That was something the Lord put on their heart. And you know what he did? He said, called them. Right? They didn't quit their jobs. I'm going full time and, and <laughs> you know, into this, right? 
No, they still work a job. They still do this. And you know what they do? They do that's a ministry that God has them in. You see that? And then maybe, just maybe, the Lord will separate you. And then the Bible says those that live of the gospel or uh, preach the gospel should live of the gospel. You see that? There's, there's steps to this thing. And if you get any of those things out of order, you're going to become frustrated in your Christian life. You're going to become frustrated in your Christian life. The greatest thing that you and I can do is be a servant and then be willing to listen for a call. And then if the Lord ever says, hey, let's go, it's drop everything. Forget whatever it is you got going on in this world. God says, I want you separated. Come with me. It's to the mission field with you. It's to this ministry over here. Let's go. And you say, well, Lord, what about my job? And what about this? He said, I, don't, I didn't ask you about that. You see that? It's all in our text. And you know what you do? You forsake all and you follow him. Amen. And he takes care of you every step of the way. Folks, here's a question for you. All right? How good of a servant are you? It's not just for preachers. It's not just for folks that have some title. It's not just for any of that. It's for every single one of us. Okay? You haven't, are you, are, are you, you don't have the pep in your step anymore? Why not? Maybe it's because you've become stagnant on the inside and all you do is absorb and you never put back out. And so you become stagnant and you become stale. Or maybe the reason that you haven't opened your mouth in a while the reason that you're not serving in the capacity which you should serve in, maybe, just maybe, it's because there's something wrong between you and him. And your personal relationship isn't what it should be. You know what the Bible tells us to do? Examine ourselves. How is my service? Lord, am I pleasing you? Am I doing what you want me to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, I just want to let you know if it's, just, if it's me working this job day in, day out, raising my family, whatever, I'm going to make sure we're in church. I'm going to make sure that we do uh, everything that we can do to be a part of everything that we can be a part of. Lord, but I just want you to know I'm still willing. Are you even willing for God to call you? Are you even willing for God to just prick your heart and tell you to do something? You know what? I, I fear that we become so ingrained in this world where we didn't want God to interrupt our plans because after all, we've got our routine. Elisha, in our, in our text, you know what? He had a routine, but he was ready for the call. You know what the Bible says? He says, it's not, he says if there first be a willing mind, it doesn't matter what a man hath or hath not. Are you willing tonight for whatever God has for you? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for letting us be in church tonight. Lord, I, I just, to the best of my ability, did what you asked me to do. And, Father, I pray that you would uh, do as you see fit here in this time. Lord, I love you. I thank you, Father, for just being good to me, Lord. And you've always taken good care of me, and i got nothing to complain about. I'm thankful, Lord. I'm thankful. And I just pray for our church. And I pray, Lord, for these people here tonight. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.